Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. That's right. Let's get right to it. Fizz Radio back here on the score 1260 alongside Cameron Ezer. I'm Brian Klein. Happy to be with you. They call us Biggie Smalls. What are you, six foot? Four. Oh, that's only four? Okay. That <laughs> was a good six foot six. I'm like, uh, we'll just, we'll call it five foot seven. Well, uh, is, is that a generous five seven? No, I'm five seven. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm five seven. Maybe five. No, nah, I'm five seven. Okay, that's a, it's, yeah, I'm it's a not me- a foot. I'm a meaty five seven. There you go. Regardless, it's radio, so no one cares right now. I've got a big voice, and you've got, what, a small personality. Oh, so thanks. Who's Biggie Smalls here? Okay. <laughs> Either way, we have a lot to get to on this edition of Fizz Radio. Game day, Syracuse and Albany, and it's a big one. We're going to tell you why in a second. Also, the good, the bad, and the ugly from what we've seen from SU so far. Going to break into some Fizz feedback and some... Five-star review on the hoop side, too, but I mentioned before, it's a big game, Syracuse and Albany. Why? Because the Orange have a good chance, a legitimate chance, to break their home skid six consecutive losses in the Dome. Yeah, and it's a U-Albany team that comes to the Dome with not a lot of hope on their side. I don't think many believe that the Great Danes can top the Orange. And a big reason is because this is a U-Albany team that hasn't had a lot of success against FBS teams. Has actually only beaten one FBS team in its entirety uh, of the program history. They haven't had that much success against FCS teams either. You lose to Rhode Island last week and North Dakota State, true they're North Dakota State, but that game wasn't even close. Well, and this is a big game for Syracuse, not because, you know, you, you talk about the uh, you know, the the lead into ACC play, but you also have to focus on what games can Syracuse win before the con- <laughs> oh, yeah. before the conference slate really starts to ramp up. And this one is a must-win for the Orange. It's a U Albany team that, like I said, hasn't had a lot of success against FBS teams, is 0-2 on the season after losing to a pair of FCS teams, and doesn't really boast a lot of success or talent that is relative to what Syracuse has. So if you're Albany, this is your Super Bowl. If you're Syracuse, you have to make it like your Super Bowl because you got to play up to your competition and not down. He's Cameron Nizera. I'm Brad Klein breaking down Syracuse football's matchup with Albany today in about two and a half, three hours. You can keep it locked to our Twitter at OrangeFizz for updates throughout the game. We'll have a reporter in the dome for you. And I got to tell you, by the way, it's me. I'm going to be right there. There you go. So <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm very excited when I'm in the Dome. Very interested to see the Syracuse sideline, right? And, I, and that sounds weird, but like you alluded to, it's Albany's Super Bowl, right? Can Syracuse get hype for it? Can Syracuse get up for it? I will say this. Maybe it's just because they're Alabama, but whenever Alabama plays Chattanooga, Tennessee, never a close game. No. And it's not because Chattanooga, Tennessee is very good. It's because Albany or Albany, Alabama dominates them. Now, are they significantly more talented? Of course. Is it because Nick Saban keeps them locked in? Yeah. Can Dino Babers do that? I don't know how locked in the Orange were last week. And I'm not going to question the it factor or the mentality of athletes. But I will say this. 
Syracuse had a lot of chances against Rutgers. Rutgers misses a field goal last week. First play of the next drive, Tommy DeVito strips sack inside his own red zone. Game is pretty much over from there. Deflated offense, deflated defense. Can Syracuse limit those mistakes and, more importantly, capitalize on the opportunities given to them? And, Brad, it all starts about that mentality. You talked about, you know, Albany, this is their Super Bowl. What I was talking about is Syracuse has to make it like their Super Bowl because if you go into this game with the wrong mentality, there have been eight FCS teams that have upset FBS teams. Syracuse does not want to be the ninth. (laughs) Tommy DeVito said earlier this week that he believes the Syracuse team should win every single game. So going into a game where many believe this is a gimme for the Orange, the mentality doesn't change. All right, so let's dive deeper here because we've talked about how Albany's FCS, Syracuse, ACC, so there really shouldn't be a problem here. I'll go a step further. The X's and O's are in SU's favor, too. It's not like, oh, well, the Orange are more athletic, so regardless of what happens, they're going to have more points at the end of the game. No. Albany likes to throw the ball, and that plays right into the hands of the 3-3-5. Deuce Chestnut is going to have himself a day. And even if Garrett Williams doesn't play today, regardless of what happens there, by the way, I don't know his injury status. If he's even borderline ready, he shouldn't play. Really? He's too important to what Syracuse has to do in ACC play. You should be able to win with or without Garrett Williams. Let's say for argument's sake he doesn't play. I think the system will have a fine day regardless, and the quarterback... Under Clough? Under Cliff? Under Cuffler. Under Cuffler, excuse me. Well, I'll tell you what. He's going to have a busy day at the office, and he's going to have a tough day at the office, too. Yeah, it's a guy in Under Cuffler that likes to throw the ball a lot. He's by far the most talented player on this team. He can deliver a good deep ball, but he's also aware with his receivers. He's been in the system since 2018. He knows how to locate his more experienced targets. There's a few youngsters on that wide receiving core that have also proven themselves in these first couple games. But yeah, he's going to be busy because this is a secondary in the Syracuse Orange that even though against Rutgers it you know wasn't too pretty as an overall game, his secondary has shined so far this season and has probably been the mainstay and what we believe is going to be the anchor of this SU defense. So yeah, under Cuffler is going to have a rough day at the office only if Syracuse comes into this game and it's Deuce Chestnut saying, I'm going to approach it like I approached Ohio and like I will approach Clemson moving forward. Check out our website, by the way, orangefizz.net for a sneak peek on what Albany has to offer. Matt Bonaparte sat down with Roger Weiland, the voice of the Great Danes, and really great insight there. You can also check out our Twitter at orangefizz. For updates on the game today, Syracuse and Albany at noon coming up here on this game day. Cameron is Aaron, Brad Klein breaking it down, previewing it with you. And we both agree Syracuse is going to win this game. The question is by how much, and there's a poll out there if you want to chime in on the action too. But regardless of the result, regardless of the margin, I'm interested to see what happens because, again, Albany's defense, nothing to write home about. We've talked about how SU's defense is going to have a good day. What happens with the offense, Syracuse offense? And I'll, I'll pose this question because a lot of position battles out there, I don't think anyone actually believes that Sean Tucker is not unequivocally RB1, right? But Dino Babers did allude to this earlier. How much of a workload can he handle? He was very interested going into the Rutgers game to see, okay, after a career-high 25 carries against Ohio, is he going to be able to basically replicate that 
the next week. He kind of did, right? He doesn't need 25 carries every time, but he carried the workload, right? He doesn't have to do that against Albany, and Dino Babers knows that. And Sean Tucker, like Garrett Williams, is too important to what the Orange have to do in ACC play. So I'm expecting a lot of other guys to get looks. That's Cooper Lutz, that's Abdul Adams, that's Jarvion Howard. Yeah, and it's a Syracuse, uh, or pardon me, this is an Albany defense that is not good at stopping the run against Rhode Island uh, as well as uh, in in U Albany's first game of the the season, it's blanking on me who they're playing. North Dakota State. North Dakota State. There you go against those two teams. That's an average of 200 yards on the ground in those in those games on the defensive side for for U Albany. So yeah, Sean Tucker. I have a feeling in his first 10 carries he might eclipse 100 yards, <laughs> and he won't have to play the rest of the game. So yeah, get Jarvion Howard involved. Get Cooper Lutz involved. And it's really about noticing when to use those guys both down. And distance Is there twice. even anything to gain for Dino Babers by playing Sean Tucker a lick yes, in this game? there is. What? 100%. What? Because if Sean Tucker plays in this game, and let's say he, you know, carries most of the workload in that first quarter, and he proves that even in games like these, he can utilize the, the edges, he can, you know, get through tackles, he Who can cares? stay low to the— I, 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 think I, I know I was just on record in saying that Syracuse has to get up for this game, and they do, but Sean Tucker's already proven an ability to run all over good defenses. Did that against Rutgers? He did it against Rutgers marginally, took a step back compared to Ohio, but then again he had 180 yards. He's proven that he can run on ACC competition. I think this guy is all gas, no brakes. You might as well hit the brakes for him. Why not prove it even more? If you're Sean Tucker, you're a guy that likes to get up and go and play. You don't want two weeks off before going and you know taking on Liberty. I'll answer your question with another question. Why not prove it even more? What happens if Sean Tucker gets hurt? I know you can't play like that. It's football. It's a contact sport. If Sean Tucker gets hurt... Season is so over, so over. I'm not. I'm not telling you to play Sean Tucker in the second half. I'm telling you to play Sean Tucker enough so he has some, you know, game competition. So at least when he gets ready for Liberty, he's a little more tuned up. Well, there's another factor here. Remember, Abdul Adams transferred from Oklahoma to get reps at Syracuse. If he doesn't get more reps, more carries than Sean Tucker against Albany, he might transfer right back. I think that this game will say a lot about Abdul Adams and Jarvion Howard because everyone's wondering, where are those two? Do you think there's, you know, a bit of hesitancy on the on the side of the coaching staff because these two opted out of the season last year and are now back to play at Syracuse? I'm curious to see. I feel like the fans are too. How much Jarvion Howard and Abdul Adams play because in this game, they should be getting a majority of the touches. Yeah, well, we'll see. I'll tell you what, a good problem to have for Syracuse. That's really good. We'll tell you what the good, the bad, and the ugly is on the other side from SU's first two weeks of the season. Don't go anywhere. Fizz Radio, back in a jiff. Back here on Fizz Radio with Cameron Ezer, I'm Brad Klein, breaking down the good, the bad, and the ugly for SU football in their first two weeks with game day upon us in about two hours, 15 minutes or so, give or take. I'll be in the Dome. Keep it locked toward Twitter at Orange Fizz for updates on the action throughout. And check out our website, orangefizz.net, afterwards 
for the full recap on what you might have missed. But Cameron, this, we've agreed, is a must-win for Syracuse. Right now they're 1-1. One one. Mixed bag of emotions on my end for what Syracuse has seen so far. So I ask you, we'll start with the good. What's good about SU's 1-1 one one start? It's been Sean Tucker. It's been that run game. And Sean Tucker has to be the guy for Syracuse to have any success both in ACC play and just throughout this season. He was a big part of last year, and which ended in a 1-10 in 10 year, but I wasn't even focused on that. I was focused more on the individual play, and one of the only positives was Sean Tucker. So going into this season, does Sean Tucker have a sophomore slump, or does he continue on the, that momentum from a year ago? He's proving it so far in games and non-conference games that many believe Syracuse should win or at least compete in that he still has the legs to run past good defenses. Yes, against Rutgers, he didn't have the best game, but he crushed Ohio, got a career high in which he should, and he's proving to everyone that he should be RB1. So I've been impressed by Sean Tucker so far because this running back crew it has to be spearheaded by Tucker. All right, so Sean Tucker's the good. Bit of a cop-out answer there. I think everyone expected Tucker to be good. Deuce Chestnut has been really good. I wish this was the great, the bad, and the ugly. If it was great, I'd say defense. Okay, yeah. Deuce Chestnut had a breakout game against Ohio and was kind of quiet against Rutgers. So a lot of people that are listening to us right now, Cameron, that might be scratching their heads and saying, okay, weird time to bring up Deuce Chestnut, right? Because he didn't do much against Rutgers even with Garrett Williams out. That's the point, right? No one's throwing his way, and why would you? Because he's that good. This guy's going to the NFL, okay, and I know it's his first year. He had eight tackles against Ohio, five against Rutgers, had the interception against Ohio. If you throw in his direction, you're going to pay. It will be ugly for the offense, but that's really, really good for the defense. Yeah, and like I prefaced before you said Deuce Chestnut, if the option was great instead of good, I'd bring up the defense. Way because, to cover your tracks, no, right? No, because I think, you'd be, <laughs> I think you'd be doing the defense a disservice by just saying they were good. This defense has been great so far this season. It's given up two touchdowns on the year, and a lot of those were based off you know, the offense's inability to move down the field so the defense is already on their heels. I love what I've seen from the defense. You're right, Deuce Chestnut's going to the NFL. He's one of the best players on this defense, and we are two games into his collegiate career. And that was a lot being said. That was uh, you know, similar to what was said about Garrett Williams last year. So I think if you're a Syracuse fan, you should be excited from what you're seeing from Chestnut. All right, so in the name of Tony White, Deuce Chestnut, and the Holy Spirit, I apologize. <laughs> the great Syracuse defense. We'll go now to the bad, and I'll just kick us off, right? I think, in my opinion, and this is going to sound pretty strange, Tommy DeVito's not been good, and the quarterbacks as a whole have not been very good, right? And... I think a lot of people left the Ohio game thinking, all right, Tommy DeVito, game manager, played pretty well. Not the reason Syracuse won, not the reason that they're going to lose games. He took five sacks against Rutgers. He took five. And he had 20 sacks in four games last season. Is it as bad as last season? No. The sacks problem, not as bad. And look, should I be saying that the offensive line is a problem? Yeah, the offensive line hasn't been good, but as a redshirt junior, 
as someone who's been with the program for a very long time, as someone who's only on the field because he's been with the program for a long time, you would think he'd know how to play behind this offensive line. I'm not going to beat the offensive line down. That's like beating a dead horse. We get it. But Tommy DeVito taking five sacks, unacceptable. And I will say Tommy DeVito not because of the sacks only, but because of the untimely turnovers, right? Interception at the end when you're down by two scores, taking the strip sack on the first play after Rutgers misses a field goal to keep it a one-possession game at the beginning of the fourth. Unacceptable. That's bad. You know what also is bad, and I'm going to stick on that offensive theme, it's the offensive personnel and how that guys on the offense are being used. Where's Anthony Queeley? Where's Luke Benson? I feel like we were all promised maybe tight ends would get involved this season. That's not been the case. He's been a main blocker. It's like once Aaron Hackett just, you know, got up out of here. Eh, we don't have to use tight ends anyway because they'll probably leave nonetheless. Yeah, Quilly had zero catches last week. I'm expecting him to have a big day today against Albany, but... Now, Luke Benson with one catch, five yards, it's it's not great. Also, Courtney Jackson has more catches than Anthony Queeley. No offense to Courtney Jackson. I don't really care if it's Jackson or Queeley that gets those catches, but Anthony Queeley needs to be involved in this offense because at times when Taj Harris didn't look great last season, it was Queeley that picked up his slack. And I'm seeing nothing from number 14, and I think a big part of that, yes, is because Tommy DeVito and the quarterbacks have struggled, but also, if you are those guys, demand the ball. Taj Harris has been demanding the ball because he needs to be that number one guy. I need more Luke Benson. I need more Anthony Queeley. I don't know if it's Sherrod Johnson that needs to get involved. I don't know if it's Courtney Jackson that needs to pick up some slack. But it seems like it's all Taj Harris through the air. That's not going to work. It's way too predictable. Brad Klein and Cameron Ezier breaking down the good, the bad, and the ugly on this game day between Syracuse and Albany. Check out our Twitter, at OrangeFizz, later today for updates on the action throughout. And then our website, OrangeFizz.net, for the recap afterwards. I'll be in the Dome for that exclusive coverage. And Cameron, we talked about the good, we talked about the bad. You're thinking that Sean Tucker's good, and the bad is going to rely on the receivers, specifically Anthony Quealy. I like the good with the defense. Maybe it's great, who knows, based on interpretation. And the bad has been Tommy DeVito and his unawareness behind the offensive line that he should be very aware of. The ugly? It has to be the quarterbacks. Nope. I already use the quarterbacks. Can I not say the quarterbacking as a whole? Is that not allowed? No, you can't. I kind of use that for the bad, but you can take it for your ugly. I'll tell you what the right answer is. Dino Babers. Right When the whistle blows, what does Dino Babers do for this football team? He does nothing. And I've, I'll tell you what, I, specifically the ugly has been was last week the foul call against him after the body slam, whether it was or wasn't Dino Babers after the game saying, hey, no one's worth 15 yards. That includes any player that's a coach. Dino Babers says it's his first personal foul call ever, and he sits at the podium saying, oh, it's the first one I've ever had as a coach or a player. So... Sue me. Unacceptable. I don't care if it's your first. I don't care if it's your 30th. That's a big moment, and it costs Syracuse big time. And I know for a fact that the next play was a touchdown only because of Dino Babers. That's ugly. If you're a coach, you can't be the reason your team loses. Player execution must be the reason your team loses. 
Get out of the way. Let the players decide the game. Contribute in a positive way. That's ugly. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there were a lot of people saying, well, you know, right after that penalty and right after that touchdown from Rutgers, that kind of lit some fire under Syracuse players, and all of a sudden they score on the next possession. No, that's not true. Come on. That is not true at all. Dino Babers, that was unacceptable. That was ugly. I agree with you. But why, for my ugly, I'm going with quarterbacking play is because what I'm seeing from Tommy DeVito and Garrett Schrader is awful. You could say, oh, no, Tommy DeVito looked okay in that Ohio game, and he did lead that one good drive against Rutgers. If Tommy DeVito is going to be praised for his ability to throw one long long ball during each game, and that's pretty much going to up his yardage to a point where we look at him and we're saying 150, 160 yards, it's respectable. Nah. That's not going to work for Syracuse. I have a question, and you can just tell me if I'm wrong. I think a lot of people left the Rutgers game last week saying, ah, you know what? Garrett Schrader played pretty well. Why do people think that? He was garbage in that game. I think Tommy DeVito was better. Because it's an unknown with Garrett Schrader. What we saw from him is him trying to get acclimated on the first drive. The, the issue with Garrett Schrader is when he goes out of the pocket, he becomes a running back, not a quarterback. He doesn't leave his options open. With Tommy DeVito, we know one thing. He's not that good. He's not really been that good. And what can we expect from him? Probably some inaccurate passes and the inability to be comfortable in the pocket. He'll be dragged down on occasion. That's why he's been sacked a numerous amount of times. Why I think the quarterbacking has been ugly is these are the two guys, or at least the one, whoever plays, to lead this team. Yeah. It's a group that was 1-10 last season. Who's going to take them out of, the, out of those trenches? It's not going to be Dino Babers. He went from 5-7 and seven to 1-10, and, and Dino Babers is saying the exact same thing every single year. It has to be the guys on the field. Who's in the huddle giving out the plays? It's either Tommy DeVito or Garrett Schrader. They have not been good. They've not been accurate. They've not looked comfortable, especially in pressure situations. If you're telling me that the only pressure situation that Syracuse will go through is against Rutgers in a one-possession game, then you're wrong and you're not expecting anything out of the ACC this season. Tommy DeVito's been bad, even though you know he's shown flashes of, okay, he can still play D1 football. And Garrett Schrader, what I've seen from him, one drive. That's it. I'll tell you what, uh, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to Syracuse football. The good, the bad, and the ugly recapped by myself and Cameron Ezer. Still a lot to get to on this game day on Fizz Radio. We're going to take a step back from football, though. There's one good thing that came out of that Rutgers loss. J.J. Starling had a pretty good visit on the sideline in the Dome. The Dome was a-rockin' with fans in the stands for the first time in over 650 days. We'll break down J.J. Starling's visit and tell you everything you need to know about the Orange Recruiting Trail. I'm going to need a five-star review. Five-star ride. I'd like to share with you one of our five-star reviews. Hey, five stars. We're kicking it into fifth gear on five-star review. Cameron Ezer and Brad Klein with you down the home stretch of Fizz Radio here. And with five-star review going over to the hoop side, really feels like it's a J.J. Starling segment. This one just screams J.J. Starling. And why? 
because we just talked about a little bit of Syracuse Rutgers, J.J. Starling in attendance, and he was impressed by the crowd. I don't know why. I was there, too. The <laughs> top bowl was pretty empty, socially distant, we'll call it. Hey, what you can say is it's a good thing fans are back. When Clemson comes to the Dome, I'm expecting more of a turnout. That better be. I'll it, tell you, it better be. I was, and, and we'll get to J.J. Starling here, but I was expecting... First time in two years, fans, home opener, regional rival, it's going to be packed. And I will say, the volume was to my satisfaction. Okay. Well, that's what matters. Not really. Okay. <laughs> what, I'll, what I'll say is, if you weren't at the game and you didn't watch it on TV, I don't know what you're doing then, but don't be fooled by photos because if it was just the student section side... That was electric. Oh, yeah. That was a mosh pit. That was pretty cool. Now, on the other side, that's when, you know, you had your empty seats here and there and obviously the upper bowl as well. But uh, the student section showed out. All right. Well, hopefully J.J. Starling was sitting in the student section. He got the real student experience, right? By the way, at Orange Fizz to keep it locked for updates throughout this game. Syracuse and Albany coming up in just a few hours here, just a couple of hours but J.J. Starling was at the Rutgers game, was very happy with the crowd. It does feel like this was a step in the right direction. It was his second visit to Syracuse. Always a really good sign when a player has taken two visits. Granted, he's right down the road, but still, it's only a good things, only positive vibes out of J.J. Starling. I actually do think he's going to come to Syracuse. I agree. I think he's coming. And I think that when he does commit, or I'm sorry, if he does commit, if the if the, if the if turns into a when, Syracuse fans should be very happy because you might be asking yourself, well, Joe Girard's going into his fourth year. Why is there a need for another guy that kind of plays that exact same position? I think you can either shift him over to the two guard. He can play in that point guard slot. He's very talented. He's a new face, a four-star at that. I know it's five-star review, but still a guy that is very talented in his own right. And it's well, hold on. We already broke the five-star, five-star review rules by talking about Joe Girard. So, you know, <laughs> it, it might it might be a rule, but I think it's something that you have to take into account because J.J. Starling is a pure one. So I think that you can move other players, like the guy I just mentioned, over to that two spot. What J.J. Starling can bring to this team is someone that can both score, attack the paint, facilitate, and if you have good shooters around you, which a guy like Justin Taylor will be when he comes in 2022, that's something that'll be a positive if J.J. Starling has the ball in his hands because he's a quick decision maker. He's not a guy that'll just sit beyond the perimeter and say, hey, I'm going to facilitate this offense when I bring the ball you know, uh, uh, beyond half court. I'm also going to facilitate the offense in a half court set. So I'm excited to see what J.J. Starling does both in his senior year and moving forward. Syracuse can't lose this one. It's That's interesting, but it, I agree. They can't lose this one. Taking home, taking care of your home turf, recruiting-wise, it's essential to building a program. And I say building a program because Syracuse is still trying to rebuild this program to what it was back in 2013, right? And, and before that, too. And it's interesting to hear you say that uh, J.J. Starling is a true one and that you can move Joe Girard over. I think a lot of people are excited to hear that because – it feels like it's been a long time since they since Syracuse has had a true one. Like you think about Frank Howard moving over from the two on the recruiting trail to play the one because Tyus Battle was there the entire time. You think about Joe Girard playing the one 
only because he's six foot on a good day. It's not because he's a point guard. It's because he's too short. Yeah. So to have an actual point guard, by the way, I mean, the truest point guard that Syracuse had last year was Kadari Richmond, and he's not even really a point guard. I mean, I think that when you're revering Kadari Richmond as a player, you would talk about him more on the defensive side. For sure. So as much as you could say, oh, you know, he was really only the true, the you know, the true point guard, you weren't looking at Richmond as that is our point guard. You were looking at him as he's a defensive stopper that can bring the ball up the court. Sure. What J.J. Starling can be is that true point guard, someone that you don't have to ask yourself, do we need our shooting forward to bring the ball up the court because our point guard at times is a little sloppy with the ball? I think that what Starling can bring to this offense is a little structure at that one spot. It'll be interesting to see, yes, because it's pretty much a battle between Syracuse and Duke at this point, but you mentioned it. It's essential for Syracuse to win this battle and get Starling in orange. What he could bring to this team, especially with Copeland and Taylor already locked up or hopefully already locked up. You know what happened with Kamari Lands. You never know. What J.J. Starling can bring is that third piece that Syracuse needs once Lands left. Cameron Ezer and Brad Klein breaking down the five-star review segment, putting J.J. Starling under the microscope here on the score 1260 Fizz Radio until 10 o'clock here on this game day between Syracuse and Albany. And we both think J.J. Starling's coming. I think, by the way, there's a Twitter poll out there on Orange Fizz to get your voice heard because Cam thinks that he's a true point guard, and he is. What kind of true point guard will he be? How does he project onto Syracuse's roster? Player comparisons. That's Oof. the Twitter poll. And we'll, we'll give you the results, the live results uh, so far on that poll after the quick break, but we're going to stay here with J.J. Starling and talk about what he would provide Syracuse. And, you know, coming to Syracuse, taking care of your home turf with recruiting, that's big. But I think if we both think that J.J. Starling's coming to Syracuse, then it's time to start talking about how he fits. Copeland, Taylor, both offensive-minded guards. Taylor will probably play the three, right? Yep. I think a lot of people think that Copeland's going to play the one, if J.J. Starling doesn't come here. Yeah, okay. So this one's tough because obviously basketball in its entirety has gotten a lot more positionless over time. I think Justin Taylor is a, a three at heart, but there's nothing wrong with playing him at the four in a small ball whoa, lineup. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, I agree small ball is where the game has gone, but that would be really small, right? I, and how big is he? Well, he's six six. And although, and yes, you you you're saying that you know this guy is you know shoot first type of player in Justin Taylor, but you have to realize that there were moments that Quincy he's six six two hundred six six two hundred yes, I, I'm just saying in a small ball lineup, and you could even put a center that's six ten six eleven, so now it's not small ball anymore. But he is a shooting weapon that should, you know, most of the times be on the court. Okay, just for reference, the shooting guard last year was Buddy Beheim for Syracuse, six foot six, one ninety five. Right. And you're gonna play the same guy at the four. There's nothing wrong with having four guys that are offensive minded and a guy like Justin Taylor, who's a shoot first type of player. And then at the center position, you have more of a bulky. Uh, 
you know, center-minded Yes, player. there is. There is something There's wrong not at all. Yeah, I will tell you what's wrong with it. The entire 2-3 zone model is get your length in the passing lane. Not going to work if your length really isn't there. Six foot six at the top of the zone is really good. Six foot six at the wing of the zone, not great. And six foot six down low when you're helping out the bigs is borderline inept. So if Joe Girard and Kadari Richmond just so happened to be playing on the court at the same time, Buddy Beheim would have been dropped to the bottom of the zone. Am okay, I wrong? Yeah, but that's fine, right? T- to play Buddy Beheim on the right side of the zone, small forward spot, you can bite that bullet. But if you're playing him at the four, playing that same frame at the four, then you're basically going ridiculously small. Jim Beheim has never done that before, and I think you have to remember that Beheim is the same coach that is, call him stuck in your ways if you want, but I'll call him old-fashioned. I don't think he's willing to go that small. I don't think Beheim's willing to go that small. I'm saying the option is open if needed. I'm saying the option is there. I don't think it'll happen because I, I view Jim Beheim as I, stubborn. Okay, so I think if Starling comes to Syracuse, it'll be Copeland and Starling at the top of the zone. Whoever wants to bring the ball up can bring the ball up, and Justin Taylor will play the three. And I think he'll Benny play the Williams three, too. will play the four. And if he comes Lord, back. And, yeah, sure, I think he will. And Lord help Syracuse with who their center is at that point. Yeah, that's the model. And it's a model that you can look forward to if Starling comes. Do you if, actually think Benny Williams is a one-and-done player, by the way? I don't think Benny Williams is a one-and-done player. I think Benny Williams thinks he is a one-and-done player. Oh, okay. No, by it, the way. It, it's not, no, nothing against Benny Williams. I just think Benny Williams is very confident in both how other people view him as a five-star and in his game. And a lot of guys that come in as five-stars, their first thought is one-and-done because it's my fast track to the league. Sure. But... If you're a five-star in the 21st century and your only concern is getting to the NBA, I don't know if you're coming to college. I don't. really don't. I think Benny Williams legitimately wants to develop his game and be good by the time he gets to the pros. And I also think that Syracuse will be able to hold on to him. And I think that sounds a little strange. And this is assuming he has a good year. If he flops and gets hurt, then he'll come back, likely. Unless he pulls a Chris McCullough, right? But... I think Syracuse, I'd like to think that Bayheim and the coaching staff have learned from their mistakes. Holding on to guys has not been a strong suit of theirs. I think about Malachi Richardson, right? Malachi Richardson was a four-star, not a five, but a four-star with a lot of hype around him, didn't perform very well, had a ridiculous tournament, good taste in his mouth, and left. And there was nothing that Syracuse could say to him that would change his mind. Bit of a different situation because... He needed the money really badly for his family, so we'll see. But I think Benny Williams is going to come back for another year. First, let's see if he actually comes, right? It just feels like even after signing on the dotted line, there are so many variables. But first, Syracuse has to worry about keeping Benny Williams. Then they have to worry about recruiting J.J. Starling. We both think he's coming, and that is the end of it. Five-star review has come to a close. Still a little bit more to get to. Maybe the most important part of Fizz Radio, it's Fizz Feedback. Time to get Fizz Nation heard on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. (laughs) 
Closing time on Fizz Radio, taking you until the 10 o'clock hour on this game day between Syracuse and Albany. But Fizz feedback is how we're going to close it out with Cameron Izera. I'm Brian Klein. Cameron, let's hear the first poll. So the first one is about that game that's coming up in just a couple hours between Syracuse and Albany. We posted this question on our Twitter at Orange Fizz. How much will Syracuse football beat Albany by? Because I think we both are assuming that Syracuse should and will beat the Great Danes. Is it by one to two scores, three to four? May as well beat traffic. Do you think this one's going to be over by the end of the first half? Or do you think there's a chance that the Orange lose to the Great Danes? I'll tell you what. They better not. (laughs) And when you're reading the question, the first thing that went into my mind is if they lose... This will be the first tweet that's retweeted by all the Albany media, right? It'll be it'll be like one of those uh, NFL tweets or posts when bad takes exposed, or when you know when it's NFL game day and they make all their predictions and all five analysts yep. choose one yep. team and they're like, "Oh, you thought." All right, all right. I'm, I'm going to say three to four. I think it's going to be a 21, 28 point game. Yeah, it's Fizz Nation agrees with you. Fifty six percent actually agrees with you. Uh, coming in in second is 17% for may as well beat traffic. And hmm. then in third is they lose at 15%. More oh, that's pe- all the Albany people. I was going to say more people think Syracuse will lose than the Orange will win by one to two scores. But yes, it's probably the, the Great Dane media infiltrating our Twitter. Okay, well, if they only win by one to two scores, it might as well be a loss. Next poll. So the next one is about football still because that's the majority of what we're going to be talking about, a majority of what this day is about. A career day in week one set the table for a step back in week two for Sean Tucker. So how many yards will Tucker run for against Albany? Of course, had that career high against Ohio. You're thinking, is it the same production in this one? Because the competition is somewhat similar. 25 to 50 yards on the ground, 50 to 75, 75 to 100. Or do you think that Sean Tucker will once again have himself a day? This is a hard one. It's a hard one. And it's a. I feel like I'm drafting a fantasy football team. You know, like I don't know what his usage is going to be. Well, and remember that this is on the ground, so don't take into account his all-purpose yards. All right, but he's more of a running back. I than agree. He is a receiving back. I, I'm just saying there's there's a high possibility that he catches a ball out of the backfield and runs for 60 yards against an Albany defense that's never seen someone like the force of Sean Tucker. Okay, I think most of the receptions out of the backfield will come from. The Cooper Lutzes of the world, but uh, it's hard to say he's not going to have over 100 yards. But I don't think he's going to have many more yards than over 100 because I think his usage is going to be pretty low. When do you think the Orange take Sean Tucker out of the game? I think he'll play the half. Agreed. I don't think he'll play further than that unless it's you know a, a 10 to 10 to 14 point game. But I just want to go out on record. Oh yeah, sure. But I don't think it will be a 10 to 14. I think it'll be a a pretty sizable lead for Syracuse, and they'll be able to afford to take him out. That being said, if I'm Dino Babers, I'm not playing him a lick. Wow. At all. It's just a redshirt game for Sean Tucker. It's a week off. Do you think that Dino would have announced that? Because he hasn't. No, no chance Dino Babers would announce that. So Tucker's just going to come out in street clothes. With his uniform, with his jersey. He doesn't over need it. to be in street clothes. He can he can dress. And if Syracuse and Albany are playing a football game in the fourth quarter, 
maybe he can play. Well, everyone in Fizz Nation disagrees with that because that wasn't an option. A majority of them, 48%, go 75 to 100 yards. So I think a lot of them are taking into account that he won't play in that second half or won't play past a certain point. 44% think that Sean Tucker will have himself one heck of a day and go over 100 yards. Final question. Well, hold on, hold on. Where do you stand on this? Okay, I think that Sean Tucker will have over 100 yards. I don't think it matters if he doesn't play the second half. He's going to have 115 yards in two quarters. I think that Sean Tucker will have a run of 60 yards in that first half. Okay. I think one rush will be 60 yards. So that's a majority of that 100 that we're already talking about. Do you actually think that? That's why I'm saying it. Where's the prop? What do you mean? I'm just saying that there's value there on the prop for a 60-yard run of Sean Tucker's legs. Are we we making an actual transactional bet right now? No, I'm just saying (laughs) that if you think something like that, something as ridiculous as that is going to happen, and you don't take it to the casino... I'm not saying it's, if you think it's not ridiculous, then it's not ridiculous. But if you're not taking it to to the casino, that's ridiculous. If it if it's ten to one, I'm giving I'm giving the casinos ten dollars to equal the hundred that Sean Tucker will have. See, that's minimum. the difference between you and me. If you think it's gonna happen, you give them ten dollars. I think it's gonna happen. I'm giving them a hundred dollars. If I'm not sure, it's gonna be like oh, it's a ten dollar flyer. Yeah, ten dollars. If you think it's gonna happen, then it's an investment, not a gamble. Okay, Brad, but I'm not in the industry to to th- you know thin my wallet on a Sean Tucker bet. Thick May- your wallet. Uh, well, I'd want to, but it, you know. It all might right, thin. all right. Next question. We've so, learned a little bit about Cameron Ezer today. <laughs> We're talking five star review in the last segment, so let's talk about JJ Starling. If he comes to Syracuse, which former SU guard is the best comparison? Is it Eric Devendorf, Tyler Ennis, Brandon, is it Trish, or none of them? I'll tell you what, Brandon Trish is an interesting one because he's a local guy, right? And J.J. Starling feels like, oh man, well, if J.J. Starling comes, who knows? Local kid, can contribute like Brandon Trish. I think he plays like a little bit of a bigger Tyler Ennis, though. That's where, I, that's where I am right now. I want to disagree with you, but me and 39%, which is the majority on our Twitter at Orange Fizz, say that he plays like Tyler Ennis. Yeah. 100%. He's bigger. Yes. You look at body type. You look at style of play. You just look at his overall body of work. And J.J. Starling pretty much is a byproduct of what we saw of Tyler Ennis at Syracuse. And now, I don't know how Starling will play, so I, I obviously can't confidently say that. But when you're talking about a good comparison, I, I wouldn't say Eric Devendorf. I don't think that I would say... Tri- I don't think it's Eric Devendorf because I look at J.J. Starling's style of play. I think Devendorf is too shot-heavy. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, and, and I, just, I look at Tyler Ennis. I think that even if you didn't give me options... The first guard I would point out was Tyler Ennis. Is there another guard that comes to mind that you're like, oh, well, he should have been an option? I don't think so. I really don't. I'm I'm trying to think, but uh, you know, digging back into the archives of of point guards ding, and ding, guards, ding, ding, ding. exactly, digging back <laughs> into the archives of point point guards that Syracuse have had, I I don't think that I can you know pick someone out except Tyler Ennis, body type, play style. All of that. I have a crazy one. Okay. Like a really crazy one. And it's such a Gillen, throwback. maybe? Gillen? No, no. Like, you want to talk about a shot-heavy guard. John Gillen was even more shot-heavy than 
than Eric Dievendorf, but I'll make this one really quick. Sherman Douglas. How about that one? Really quick. That's all. That's all we have. So much so, I just dropped that on you. You have no time to respond because that's all we have for this edition of Fizz Radio. At Orange Fizz on Twitter for updates on the action. Syracuse and Albany coming up in about two hours. We'll see you there.